Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week. All right, mi gente, you know what time it is. It is our interview episode for the week, and I am so honored to introduce all of you to mi amiga, Yvonne Franco Rodriguez. Now, Yvonne, she started off in community college, then finished off her bachelor's degree, and then received her MS in counseling. Now, mi gente, this conversation, me and Yvonne, we don't just only talk about the ups and downs that can come with the grad school journey as first gen, but we also, I just appreciate, like just flat out, I appreciate the fact that she was so open to sharing her undocumented experiences that she went through because during the time that she was doing her undergrad journey, DACA wasn't really a thing because it was back in like 2008. So she goes in to share her story, these experiences, and it's just so impactful how far she's come despite it all. And I really hope you're able to gain some value, reassurance from this episode. And mi gente, as you know, I'm going to go ahead and let this episode speak for itself. Um, so I was um, undocumented and then I was able to get my resident, why well, I was able to get a U visa, which allows me to be, um, uh, to work in the U.S. and then um, gave me a pathway towards residency and then citizenship. But I was undocumented for a while. And I have that experience of just, you know, being undocumented and um, not being able to apply to financial aid and um, just not having a lot of guidance because I was a first-generation college student. So um, I don't have that DACA um, label. I just um, was undocumented. If that makes sense. Oh, no, it does. Because here's the thing, mi gente. Me and Yvonne, as we, when we were talking behind the scenes, she had shared with me that when she started her higher education journey, DACA wasn't even a thing. So it was being talked about because, as she said, it was back in 2008. We're back in, we are now in 2021. So it's a, it's a huge difference. Now, um, Yvonne and I were also talking about, like, what were the troublesomes of her going to community college, like lack of license. And can you share a little bit about that, Yvonne? I would just love for our gente to just hear your story and just feel connected and reassured. Yes. Okay. So back in 2008 um, and to like 2015, I want to say, uh, we couldn't get licenses. So undocumented people weren't allowed to get their license. And that really... Um, changed the way I went to community college because I had to pick a place that was local and a place that my mom would be able to drive me to because if you were to get pulled over by a cop, you'd um, you run the risk of them taking away your car. And then after they take away your car, um, depending on the cop, you know, they could call ICE on you. They can also, um, well, once you get your call, car impounded then the the cost of getting your car back might cost more than the car itself so you know just because of that and the fear of deportation I um 
I had to pick schools that were local and community college was the best choice for me at the time. No, of course. But I think, I think you starting at community college definitely shaped you to be a stronger mujer because I know for myself, I don't think I would have ever gone the same educational experiences if I did not start at a CC. Cause you know, you just experience life differently. Like I know you had mentioned you had to work mm-hmm. while going to CC, which I mean, it's, it's common, but your situation was a little different. Can you go in regards to that about how you found your job, et cetera? Yes. Yeah, so again, because you are undocumented, you're not, you don't have the same opportunities as people who have papers. So um, my first job was at McDonald's and I had to pay for my community college. I also got the support of my parents, so they were able to help me, but I didn't get no financial aid, no EOP. Um, I went to, um, I worked as a cashier at McDonald's and that helped me fund for my school. And actually I did that, I think, until um, for my bachelor's degree at Castellay. So I was still working. Um, While you were still trying to juggle your grades, trying to juggle getting to school itself, trying to juggle having a lower paying job, like as you were sharing with me, instead of working at the school. And you also had to juggle just that fear of, I don't want to get deported to mm-hmm. back to a country that I don't have any memory of. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. what do you have? I don't know. I just want to know what, what is your mind? How had you process this? Or do you still process it sometimes? Uh, yeah, I, um, I remember feeling, feeling very hopeless, feeling like what's the point of going to college or like pursuing higher education if I'm not going to be able to get a job. Um, so the way I cope with it was like ha- by having so much support by my parents. So my parents really shaped the way that I thought. Um, so one time my, my dad was saying, well, he knew that, you know, I was struggling with these feelings and he was like, it's always better to have an opportunity. No, I'm sorry. It's always better to have the experience. And then if an opportunity to become uh, documented where, where to arrive, then you would be, you would already have the degree. So just having the, his guidance and just understanding that, yeah, I might not be able to get a job. At least I hold a degree. And if things were to change, then I I'm ready. You know what I'm saying? No, of course. And that's why when you told me behind the scenes, your parents shaped your thoughts. I think that was very powerful words in itself. Now, something else I want to take two steps back before we continue on seeing where our topics transition to. This is definitely a conversational type podcast. Um, so something you had mentioned, you were trying to get into EOP mm-hmm. and you had said no guidance. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that before I, I comment back? Okay. Yes. Um, so I remember wanting to just get help with books because that was the reason why I was trying to get EOP because I couldn't get financial aid. And again, um, funding for undocumented students wasn't a thing back in the day. And we're talking about 2008. So that wasn't a thing. So I was like, maybe I can try getting EOP and maybe just cover my books. And I don't remember exactly why I was dissuaded I just remember it was either because they didn't allow undocumented students to get funding or because I was just like so unmotivated because it was just so much work it you know just feeling so lost feeling like uh like 
like it feeling unrepresented, feeling like I don't have a voice, all that la- lacking guidance. I didn't, I was a first generation college student. So all of that just was just so much pressure that either I either got dissuaded from the requirements or, or that, that feeling of just feeling hopeless. And I imagine EOP is just one of the many examples that you felt that way, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, definitely. And when you were sharing this this process with me in regards to, well, one, when you were trying to go to EOP, you also felt like, am I applying to this right? It's just so much paperwork. You had said that you didn't have guidance as getting through EOP, so you wouldn't necessarily get the help. And that's when my brain just a huge shocker when I was like, just something clicked. And I was like, because I've always had these conversations con mis amigas and I've shared with you that the higher education system literally was not built for minority students. That just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't minority, first gen, undocumented, wherever area you're in. Because when you try and look for those resources and there's no guidance for them, you're a lot of the time feeling lost. Like, how can I get it? And even if you try and submit, what if you submitted it wrong and then you don't get anything back? Like, I've had a couple of amigas that have told me that in the past they would fill out financial aid and mm-hmm. either they wouldn't get financial aid because they they did it wrong mm-hmm. or they were too scared to get something wrong and get in trouble from the law. They just didn't fill out mm-hmm. financial aid itself. And that would, and that erg me so much because then students like ourselves that aren't getting those fundings, aren't getting those helps from programs such as, well, what I've mentioned, because we're fearful and have that lack of guidance, that money is going towards other students Mm -hmm. that have always had that guidance. And that's why I know having conversations like we are having specifically for first gen minority students, it makes such a difference because it's like, now you know these resources exist. Let's help each other because we have to stick through it together. I don't know. What are your thoughts, my dear? I I completely agree. If I had like more guidance back then, if I had this podcast that talked about education, then you know, I'm pretty sure that would have empowered me. But again, like I was just so lost, you know, feeling unrepresented, feeling like hopeless because yeah, like I was undocumented. And I think it's really important to have these conversations to be able to help others and guide them because we went through them. And if we can go through them and succeed, then others can too. And, you know, if we don't do it, then it just makes things harder. It makes it more, um, more of like a taboo to talk about things, but we need to talk about funding. We need to talk about, um, being guided and you know first generation college students those are all very important topics to to talk about so that it's not like behind the scenes or like silent you know what I'm saying no of course and this definitely goes back to your advocacy work which I love so much you're just an amazing person but now there's this question I definitely want to ask you so you had shared that during your undergrad journey before going into your MS program you had felt unrepresented, confused, lost. I just have to ask, how did you go about asking for letters of recommendations for your MS program? Like, was it like an easier process for you? And how did you find the courage inside you to ask professionals or professors, whoever you came across, to write you those letters for your program? Because I I feel like there's other students that would like to hear from you how you did it to get those letters. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, I was working for a company that focused on um, ABA therapy. So it was applied behavior analysis. And I had my supervisor and I had two supervisors. So I got lucky and I was like, two references have to be professional. So I was like, if I'm working for this company, if I'm giving my energy, then they better write me a letter of recommendation. So it was more of a like, mm-mm. You, you're going to do it, you know, <laughs> but just because I was, I was working for the company and I had a good relationship with, with my supervisors. I think, um, just knowing your worth, knowing that you deserve to go to grad school, you deserve higher education. Screw that idea that says you are, you're not allowed to go to grad school or just because you're, you don't have, um, the guidance that other people have that you shouldn't, you know, it's more of a reason to go to grad school to prove yourself, to know that um, we can do it. You know, people of color can do this. And this education is not just for white people. It's for everyone. And, and the more we do it, the more it becomes normal, the, the more we help our communities. No, of course. And I just love the fact that you said it yourself. You got your letters of rec from professionals in the working field, which is so good to know because I myself, every letter of rec I've had has been from professors, but it's good to know that you can even ask outside of academia. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it's, it's, it's as long as like like, for example, you were able to ask your professionals to write you letters of rec because you were going into an MS counseling program. So mm-hmm. it kind of fit. So we had to make sure that, you know, you remember that, take some notes, keep it in the back of your mind. So I just want to know, like, share some cheese, no cheese, whatever you want. How was grad school for you? How did you, how did you navigate that? <sighs> um, you know, grad school was it was challenging. I think, um, I'm a very outspoken person. So, um, if I see something that I don't agree with, or, you know, if I feel like I need to speak up, I will speak up and that has gotten me into trouble, but I don't care. (laughs) Um, but I, I did do some advocacy with like, um, Casa I was part of, um, bringing awareness towards impaction. So, when I was in grad school, the university was trying to pass impaction behind our back. Like they weren't telling the community, they weren't even like letting them know that we had meetings of, to talk about this. And, um, you know, I did a lot of advocacy and I think just being outspoken kind of like made things harder, even though it shouldn't, you know, we should embrace, you know, speaking up for others or, um, just being passionate about something, it's it's a good thing to just bring issues that affect communities of color to light. And that was the whole reason why we were against impaction because Cal State LA is a school um, that a lot of a lot of low income and communities that are around LA uh, that they apply to because it, the requirements were um, not as high and. And because of that, more people of color were able to, like, get accepted. So just passing impaction would actually limit um, the people who would be accepted. And there were generally going to be people of color. So I spoke up. um, Of course, that that had – it was hard to navigate grad school and advocacy. So it was challenging because of that. But, I mean – 
I navigated it. And if I, again, if I could do it while trying to speak up for others, even though it's hard, then I feel like my, everyone can do it. You can do it. Whoever's listening, you know, we can do it. We can just, you know, make our space known in higher education. Of course. And Yvonne, I have to ask, where does your passion come from in regards to wanting to speak and advocate for others? <sighs> mm. Well, I did, um, I've been a victim of a crime. Uh, that's the whole reason why I became documented. I was undocumented for 20 something years. Um, and then later I became documented because I was able to apply to a U visa and a U visa is for victims of crimes in the U S and I applied to the U visa. I got, I got accepted and Later, after like so many years, you're able to apply for legal residency. So I got that. And now I'm on the pathway to citizenship. So because of a crime that happened to me when I was little, I was able to change my my status. And um, it was that crime that shaped me. It was just just something bad happened to me. I don't want to go into detail. I completely Mm -hmm. understand. And we don't have to go into the detail of that crime itself. We don't have to. But if Mm -hmm. I want to ask if you're okay with it, have you ever like thought and been like, wow, it took a crime to happen for the U.S. to be like, I'm a citizen. Can you share your thoughts on that? Again, we don't have to talk about the exact crime, just Mm -hmm. your thought on that. Yeah, I mean, it just felt kind of, it gave me really mixed feelings about the crime because the crime obviously did a lot of harm to my mental health. And then I was able to get residency. So it was just kind of like, oh, like this horrible thing happened to me. But because of this horrible thing, the U.S. was able to like be like, oh, here's some papers, you know. Um, So it just gave me mixed feelings about the crime. But other than that, like I was just honestly, I was grateful because I was just happy to get um my permanent residency it's been such a long journey that just remembering those car rides with my mom and having to go with her to like being able to drive to school and just be like okay like and it just I feel grateful but again it it feels like some horrible thing had to happen for me to get residency or or the visa and then residency and again I just know this is the Osito connecting us because here's the thing, Mijente, we had talked about, so when me and Yvonne connected, it was literally when Cafecito con Estrellita was just like starting. I think I was like at 200 um, supporters and well, now we're like at 3000. So it's, it's been a journey for sure. But, um, and I remember when we connected, it was, she actually was one of the people that like pushed me without pushing me. And you don't know this now you're going to know about it to do interview episodes. Cause I remember when we connected, she's like, Oh, you're a podcast. If you ever want to do an interview, let me know. But I was only doing solo episodes at the time. And it was when I was trying to figure out what I wanted the podcast to fully be because I'm my first couple seasons. It was definitely more like fun. I'm not saying that these conversations aren't fun, but you know, it was just like random stuff. But also Mm -hmm. I would talk about my grad journey a lot. And I saw a lot of people were resonating more with like the first gen stuff that I was saying. So I was like, okay, let me make this happen. And then that's when I was like, okay, let me start to figure out how I can do interview episodes during a pandemic. And then I had reached to Yvonne, but then um, we talked about it. And well, La Vida Pasa, but we're now here in season three with 
an interview. And I don't know. I just, I love you so much, boo. And I'm so glad we were able to connect because like, I know you didn't tell me do interview episodes. You just, you know, suggested it. And I was like, you planted the seed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I, um, I just love your graphics. Like, I don't know if you know, but your graphics are so dope. I love the pink. It's just so cute. And like the picture you have right now, is like a girl with like pink high heels and like her sweater has a pandulce and I just resonated with that I was like yes like a woman of color you know going to grad school like more of this or not just women of color but people of color you know it's, but it was just so cute the the graphics and I seen what you do like your TikToks I love them so keep doing what you're doing you're shaping you're helping a lot of us no oh, of course and I appreciate that and fun fact did you know later I'll send you the picture of it I'll eventually make it a post. It's just, oh my gosh, there's just so many hours in the day sometimes when you're a student, then well, creating content and then working. But I was going to tell you the, the girl, that's actually me. I did that pose in a regular picture. I just had it like digitally art, but I'll show you the original picture later. And I actually posed like that in the middle of Target. Oh, wow. How cute. (laughs) I'll send it to you later. My older sister, she took the picture. And then like, as I was trying to figure out the graphics for the podcast, I was like, I like this. Now let's make it a cartoon because it just, it made sense to me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, definitely. So now, okay. I want to take, taking just a few steps back, but it's still back into the whole grad school area. Mm -hmm. And how did you, did you feel like your classes were very intense? Did you feel like because you were passionate about the field that you were in, even though there was a lot of work, you've never felt like I can't do this. Like just, could you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, no, there were times where I wanted to quit grad school. I was like, I want to drop out. This isn't worth it. But again, I was in a combined program. So I got my master's in counseling, master's of science in counseling, but I was kind of getting like two degrees because one of them was there's so it's a combined program one path is towards marriage and family therapy so becoming licensed as a therapist um well you're working towards your license during grad school and um so that was that focus and then it was also school counseling and getting your um credentials so I got my CWA credentials and my PPS credentials which is credentials to work at a school as a school counselor so I was getting both of them in three years so it was just a lot of um a lot of readings a lot I mean grad school is already intense so just having a combined program is just more intense and then trying to do advocacy is also more intense so there was times where I was just like oh my god like this is way too much I was also dealing with a lot because I'm in a marriage and family therapy program and I'm a person who had a lot of trauma and a lot of the classes will actually trigger me. So I had a child or like a sexual, what was it? Domestic violence and child abuse class. And that class, I would just cry because the material was triggering because I had my own trauma and, um, I actually went to therapy in grad school to just help me navigate that. But it was just, it's hard. It's, um, it's hard to navigate um, a system that wasn't built for you while also dealing with your own stuff and also like having these obstacles put in, in front of you. And yeah, yeah. So it was, there was times where I wanted to quit. And I think, you know, just talking about it with other 
grad students helped me because they were like, oh my God, I feel like so stressed. And oh, just talking to them about it helped me. And a lot of them were people of color or students of color. So it was just that support that helped me get through that. No, of course. And two things on that entire spiel you just said. One, I'm so glad the fact that you highlighted that you don't, you can't just get, look, you can get your MS in counseling, but if you want to work in a school district, you need to get that credential. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you brought that up because so I'll bring you another example because one of the mis amigas and other amigos también que tienen tengo, um, they got their bachelor's degree in accounting. And you would think, oh, just with the bachelor's degree, you can go straight into accounting. Yes and no, they can, but to be able to make more money or be a certified public accountant, they have to take an extra exam. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our first-gen hint that don't know that until they're literally about to graduate or they just graduated and maybe they found out and then they're stressing out because their whole plan was just like to get a better paying job right after to help La Familia, pay off loans. But then they, they think and they then realize like, oh my gosh. I have to take an uh, an exam to be able to just like make more money, even though I spent all this money on this bachelor's degree. So mm-hmm. I really like that you brought that up because I didn't even know that like MS in counseling, but if you want to work in the school districts, you needed like another credential or something like that. And I was, just, and it's so funny because like to go on with my MA program, I just, I need my teaching credential. Like that's one of the requirements. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So yeah. like, so basically, we had to just research your programs, research mm-hmm. what areas of interest you're, you are really looking to work in one day, because sometimes there'll be those sneaky little things that come up, like an extra credential mm-hmm. or an extra exam. And if you don't get it done, you may feel, not saying that there's ever, it's, life isn't a race. That's not the point. But I'm just saying, it's just nice to always feel more prepared. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. totally makes sense. I um, So in order for you to be a school counselor in um, California, and I'm talking about Southern California because that's where I live, you have to pa- have passed your CBIST. So if you haven't passed your CBIST, then you cannot work as a school counselor because the, the credential is one thing, but you also need to pass your CBIST to get hired at any school district. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then for, sorry. No, go on, go, go, go. And then so for marriage and family therapists, um, you think that once you go to grad school, it's done. No, like there's a whole process of getting licensed and, you know, you have to finish 3,000 hours. You have to take an ethics exam and then you have to take a state exam. So yeah, research your program, research your career and the, the state you live in because it depends on you know what state so always do that um and i'm happy that my my program told me those things you know but i I didn't know that there was other programs that you know they don't really guide you no of course and Oh my gosh, there's there's just always these other things we have to get besides that degree, whether it's master's, whether it's bachelor's. And I feel like when we're first gen, we're always told, oh, just go to grad school or just get your bachelor's degree and you'll be done. You're good. And because, you know, we're expecting that because we're the first ones to go to college. And then that doesn't happen. We find out we have to do more. Mm-hmm. It's 
I don't know about you, but I had a couple times. I don't want to say I've been to the point where I want to quit grad school. I know I've shared it before. I did drop out of a previous program I was in, not because I didn't love the program. I did. I just, due to personal and family reasons that I've already shared a lot of times, um, I ended up having to drop out. But now I'm at my new program in the Stanislaus County. But there's been times, too, where I feel like, (sighs) I did this and that, but it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. But then that's when, like, when I start to get down on myself, well, one, I let myself feel because it's important to let yourself cry. You, I know you know this, like, mm-hmm. emotions are valid. But then take two steps back or two steps forward, that is what I should say. And then just be like, okay, what plan of action should I take next? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, just talking about it, like, that helps. I think, especially if there's other students in your program that, have the same background. Um, I think just once one person opens up, it kind of gives the opportunity for the other person to open up. And I think that just builds community, builds connection. It's, and it's empowering because then you don't feel alone. And the idea of not feeling alone can really push people to, you know, to meet whatever they want, like meet their goals or just finish. Excel. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. And, I just, I agree with you a hundred percent for that. And also the other thing I want to mention too, especially because we're in distance learning right now, if you're feeling that lack of connection because you're not in the physical classroom, you could still like engage with people on social media. I know that sounds silly, but I'm being serious. Like for example, and I love her so much. One of the many, um, becoming a doctora, her name's Myra. She's almost done with her PhD. I believe she only has a year left or less than a year. And she lives in Chicago. And we literally send each other random messages like all the time, like, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. And then the other day, or I should say like last month, um, me and her were talking on the phone and I was legit crying to her because I was just like, I finished this CVS. I finished all these, like, well, I'm starting to do the C sets like at the time and I still have to do this and that. And, ah, and then I'm just, just like, and then after like I cried and she listened and then she cried and did her thing. Then, you know, we felt better, like for reals, we did. So that's definitely a thing. Like, and I promise you, if you find a, find yourself across an Instagram page that's like academia related and it's a woman of color, of just people in color in general, and you send them a DM, I'm pretty sure they are going to connect back with you. Or if you see that they host virtual events, like I know Latina Grad Guide has hosted a couple that I've hosted alongside her as well. There are a lot of students of color that attend those virtual events and you can start to connect with them there. So there, so just like Yvonne had mentioned, just having that reassurance from other students, specifically student of color, first gen, undocumented, when you connect with them, even virtually, and just let it all out it makes a difference and now Yvonne the second thing I want to bring up and I I would like your feedback too or even you know whatever you want but I love the fact that you opened up about that you've sat in classrooms and you've cried Uh (laughs) and I'm going to tell you why and okay so I remember my my first semester of program and maybe this may sound silly but I just, I got to be open about it because there has to be other students that felt the same way. But my first semester of program here where I'm at, um, one of my requirements was to take like a child development course, but specifically from that university, even though I had taken some at CC and one at UC Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. I still had it. Yeah, every school's different. So that's why I do your research. But anyways, and I, and picture this, Yvonne, I'm 
well, right now I'm 26. When I started program, I was 25, like a, this program. And I'm, I'm there. I'm 25, okay? And as I'm listening to, you know, my professor talk about child development, how it's normal for teenagers to, like, go out with their friends. It's normal for teenagers to, like, date at a young age so then they know what they like, what they don't like, you know? I remember sitting there and I would listen and after class, as I would walk to, because they were night courses, all my courses have always been at night. Um, I was walking to my car, and as I would reflect back on the lesson, I would start to cry so much because I was like growing up. I remember, I remember growing up, especially because I'm such an extrovert. I have my introvert moments, but you know what I mean. And I would be like, I, I would always tell like me familia, like, oh, I want to hang out with my friends because you would see on TV that it was normal. You would see all that stuff was normal, but they'd always say no. They'd always say no. Mm-hmm. So then, um, so, you know, I would find my own forms of entertainment like TV or books and everything. And then I didn't realize how much my younger soul was just crushed until sitting in that class and even mm-hmm. more grad programs I'm grad courses I'm taking right now and I just like start to cry because I'm like how is it that this is so normal and where it's in textbooks but me and so many other first-gen Latinas I'm gonna say Latinas right now Mm -hmm. it was doing stuff like that would be the end of the world and you were pretty much like it felt like you were being punished for wanting what was natural and then I would just I would cry driving from my night classes back to like, you know, my house where I'm living with my Thea. I would just cry and cry. And I would just like, I I feel like I'm holding back my tears again right now. And I was like, but yeah, what do you, any, it's okay if you don't have anything to say, but I just felt like I could tell you that. And I feel like it's something our listeners would want to hear. Yes. No, I think we, as you know, first generation college students, we are in a different place and you know people who who only who come from who are white you know just who are white because they you know they lived in the U.S. but we have parents who came from another country their perspective is completely different once they get to the U.S. like um my parents were also very strict they um you know they just very protective, especially after, you know, the crime was committed against me. Um, they, they were very protective and I think it led them to be more strict. So I wasn't able, like, I remember going to high school or graduating from high school and my friends were literally going to a party and my parents were like, no, no, you're not going. And I'll be like, why? Like it's, I graduated. Like, aren't you happy that I graduated? But to them, like, they're coming from a country that's completely different. And, you know, some of these countries, I was born in Mexico. So a lot of these countries are dangerous, especially for Latinas. So it's like also like very mixed feelings come up. Right. Cause you know, I love being Latina, but I also know like my parents were also very strict and it's like, I want to just have fun. And it's just like what people of color are like mujeres of color are dealing with that, that, you know, parents have a mindset of of a different country living in a different country so when they get to the u.s the u.s is more they're more independent like the women here are more independent not that the you know you know what i'm saying like i don't want to sound weird but that we're just raised different and because we're raised different we get treated different and it just affects us because 
um, we just want to have fun. And it's just like, it's just mixed feelings. Just navigating those mixed feelings can be hard. And I feel like a lot of Latinas have this experience, but again, maybe we don't talk about it, but I'm so glad you're bringing it up because just talking about it just helps other people. And I'm, I'm sorry that you went through that. I completely relate to that. And I just want to give you a hug, but you're so far. <laughs> Literally 800 miles away. But the good thing is that I am from SoCal. I spent my whole life in SoCal. So hopefully by the time, because my goal is to get my EDD either at Cal State Fullerton or USC. So you'll eventually see me. And I like I shared with you, one of my really good friends, Giselle Barboza, so shout out. She's also from El Monte. And I met her at UCSB. So I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, Yvonne's from El Monte. But oh. yes. But what else was I going to say? Oh, my gosh. Uh, but yes, that's why... For me, when creating this platform, I just knew I just didn't want to be another creator that was making like, you know, funny Latina memes or another creator that was just like, not saying that's not great. Like, I love those those memes. They inspire me. They make me laugh. But I also knew that I also didn't want to be a creator that just focused on like college tips, study hacks. Does that make sense? I knew I wanted something different where it's just like, okay. First gen, we have the resilience to make it through education. We were, we're built for it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we were lost, but we just have that natural built resilience that we can overcome everything. Pretty much, like, I'm going to be honest, we can. I've seen it, and I still continue to see it every day. But even though we have this, I feel like the best type of guidance is that emotional support we didn't have growing up. We had it to an extent but not like what our souls needed. Does that make sense? And I just, with these interview episodes and these solo episodes that I do, especially right now in this, I was going to say pandemic, I'll say it anyways, but (laughs) I'm going to start calling it pan dulce now because (laughs) since I recently got on TikTok, I had a, a mujer comment and then there was like 600 likes on that comment. They're like, we're not going to call it a global pandemic anymore. We're going to call it a global pan dulce. And everyone was like, and you know how I had the daily pan dulce um, spotlights, except for the weekends, I'm taking breaks on the weekends. It's just, I don't know. It just made me laugh. But yeah, so that's why I just having conversations with mujeres like you, hombres, I feel like it just makes a difference because Yvonne, like you and I, we've never met. We're meeting right now Mm -hmm. and we could literally like, I just related to your entire story. Like in regards to just like that, that trauma in your courses, yours obviously was completely different than mine, but I can still resonate with you in the fact that like I I've sat in a class and have been like, just, hurt and sad from trauma not the professor's fault not the content class content fault but just because of what we grew up with you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I totally agree I was just like I I remember just looking around and just being like I felt embarrassed but I was like ah fuck it they're just coming out so they just came out but I think yeah just I was just such, such a hard time and it, it's hard for me to talk about but uh, yeah I'm I'm just glad that you did now I have I really want to ask one more question because I just I want to know from you and it's super random it just popped into my head so Cal State LA Rio Honda College okay you have your MS so I have to ask this you got your degrees like you know with pride from like 
your cultura. And you said yourself, Cal State LA, and I didn't know, so I'm so glad you mentioned it. Um, and you would think that I would know because I've lived in SoCal my whole life, but I'm from Orange County. So maybe like I just didn't know as much. But um, a, a majority of the students there are from like the minority backgrounds, like a huge, huge amount of them. Yvonne, if you were to have gotten an acceptance letter from somewhere like Stanford or Yale University to get your MS, would you have taken that leap or would you still have done Cal State LA for La Cultura? Yeah, I, I would have done Cal State LA. Like, I just, I just want to be somewhere where I feel like I'm represented. And, you know, a lot of Cal State LA professors are pretty dope. They're like, um, I don't know if you know, but Melina um, Abdullah, which she created the Black Lives Matters LA chapter, like she is a professor at Casa LA. So just I know a lot of Casa LA professors are just really invested in like communities. And um, I wouldn't trade that for anything, especially like a pre- predominantly white university. That's just and- me, though. No, but I'm really glad you brought this up because, well, I've shared with you and I've shared with many, I got my bachelor's degree at UCSB, a predominantly white Caucasian campus. And I honestly picked that school because it was so, it was pretty, you know, and I was younger. I honestly had amazing time, like amazing memories, amazing memories. But I felt like the only places I truly felt like was able to fit in. I don't know why I was about to say fat, but the places I felt like I could fit in was in the Spanish major, which I ended up doing my senior honors thesis for too, and my global studies degree, specifically in my ethnics courses. But other than that, when I'd be when I was trying out to see if I want to do the psychology major or the communications major, I just felt so like well, first of all, I felt really dumb because I remember I had classmates in those areas of study at Santa Barbara, like they would legit just study like a night and they'd get like A's. I, I'm not even kidding. And But they weren't first gen. They weren't first gen. And I was like, and I felt like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh. And that's why I think, not I think, that's why I know I was on academic probation my first quarter because it was just like, I I just it was it was a whole different ball game. But then once I found myself in like, you know, global studies and Spanish, I felt like I'm included. I'm connected. Yeah. It just made it made it all it made it very, you know, different. And it's funny too because our humanities department at SP, it's not like you can see a difference when you see the humanities department on how it looks like presentation-wise. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like nothing compared to how the department of communications or psychology just looks so much or marine biology they're more like yeah but I just wanted to share that with you and that's why I love that like you were like Cal State LA all the way I don't care about no Stanford no (laughs) Yale because I feel like a lot of the time people would be like no I'm going straight to Stanford because it's Stanford the name but there's there's so much more that goes into that you know yeah I've actually heard of like um you know people uh people of color going into these schools and just feeling like 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 we I I already have like the what the imposter syndrome like that magnified at predominantly white schools because there are a lot of like microaggressions like racist remarks made by even students and professors that affect them so um yeah I've heard of that and that just kind of like discourages me from attending those schools but 
shout out to all the people who are because they're paving the way for other people to for other people like us to go into these schools. No, of course. And I love that you said that too, Yvonne. Now, my dear, we're coming up to closing up our episode. But before we go, is there any last things you want to say? And can you drop some info on where people could connect with you in case they want to ask you more questions about like your MS program, maybe just want to connect with you because they just love you because I do (laughs) anything you want, my dear. Yes. So, um, I have my Instagram page. So this is my personal page and it's like an advocacy slash me page. So I do a lot of stuff there. It's uh, at Soybon, but okay, let me spell it out because people get it wrong. S-0-Y-B-O-N. So it, it looks like Soybon because of the zero, but it's zero but it's so fun <laughs> so that's my instagram i also run a mental health page which is at mental wealth is m-e-n-t-a-l-w-h-e-a-l-t-h and i didn't want to mis- misspell it <laughs> but yeah that, that's my two instagrams i'm taking a break from mental wealth just because i'm i'm just new to my field and i want to focus on that but you can reach me at either one. Um, I would suggest the personal one just because I'm there more. No, of course. And no worries. I love the fact that one, you spelled it out for all of us. And don't worry, I'll make sure to, because I follow both pages. I'll put them on the episode show notes. So then they could just click it and then connect with you there. But this was such a fun conversation because, well, not only did we talk things academia, but we dropped some first gen truths as well as some consejitos. So I I think this was pretty successful. All right, mi gente, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I can't wait to talk next week. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast y 